In the spirit of reconciliation, Myloma Australia acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to My Conversations, Myloma Australia's podcast series. These podcasts are written and produced by our Myloma support nurses for people living with myeloma, their family and friends. We aim to deliver interesting and up-to-date information on myeloma in a portable and convenient way through our podcast shows. Welcome to this episode of My Conversations, a Myeloma Australia podcast. My name is Louise Darmody, and I'm very pleased to be your host today. My Conversations is a podcast series that is close to my heart as I am living with myeloma myself. This podcast, My Conversations, is aimed to inform, support and empower people living with myeloma as well as their friends and family. Each person's experience of myeloma is different. But the hardworking nurses at Myeloma Australia have found through running support groups and a national telephone support line that people with myeloma are keen to hear about other stories and also keen to share their own experiences. Myeloma is often considered an older person's cancer. I was recently surprised to find out the data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare's figures show that in 2018, of the 2,247 people who were diagnosed with myeloma, 17% were aged from 20 to 59 years. People are living longer due to new and emerging treatments, which means that younger people with myeloma will be living for a much longer time. A great thing, but also pretty challenging in many aspects for their life. Today's podcast is part one of two, where I'll interview Jeff Nyson. Jeff was diagnosed with myeloma at the age of 40 and has been living with myeloma for the past eight years. Jeff has been an active volunteer and advocate within this space for many years, working with several non-for-profit support organisations. This year, he received recognition for his ongoing efforts and passion when he was awarded the Third Sector Volunteer of the Year Award. Jeff is also founder director of My Mount Eliza Run and Fun Festival and has raised over $320,000 for research and patient support since 2017. Jeff is one of Myeloma Australia's ambassadors, and he's kindly agreed to talk to us today about the challenges of being a younger person living with myeloma. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Hello, Louise. How are you? I am very interested to hear about your story, Jeff. Can you tell us about when you were first diagnosed with myeloma? Yeah, sure. Um, like you said, uh, I am now uh, 48 years old. Uh, but when I was diagnosed, it was eight and a half years ago. And I was playing basketball on a normal Tuesday evening 
And as I jumped up and grabbed hold of the ring, I'm, I'm a tall guy sitting at six foot six. When I jumped up and grabbed the ring, I felt my shoulder go pop. It was my right humerus bone. And um, I thought, okay, here we go. Old man's injury, I've dislocated my shoulder. But it wasn't until I got to hospital and uh, had a few x-rays that they actually found that my upper humerus bone had, had literally fallen apart. It, it was like, to look at the x-rays, it was like it had been uh, eaten out by a termite. It, it, was, um, it was in a right, right state, it was. And um, I sat in hospital actually for about two weeks. And the reason is, is because I was diagnosed with the very rare form of myeloma, which is non-secretory multiple myeloma which effectively means that I have no blood indicators of the disease whatsoever. So I'm often hearing people talking about their light chains and paraproteins and what have you, but I have none of those that um, are reflective of myeloma. So as I said, eight and a half years, it's time's flown, hey? So Jeff, how can you, how can they monitor your myeloma? Because I have myeloma, as you know, and that's monitored through um, paraprotein levels in my blood, through blood tests. How do they monitor your levels? Well, the only way they can monitor my myeloma is through bone marrow biopsy. And as many of our listeners, I'm sure all know, the bone marrow biopsy is a hugely invasive process where they drill into uh, your pelvis and take out a bone sample and bone marrow sample so that they can understand uh, you know, what the myeloma is doing in, in real time. That being the case, it's, it's still just a snapshot of you know, the incidence of myeloma in your pelvis at, at that time. So, And have you had that um, test very often in the past eight years? I guess you could say that. Look, uh, I often suggest that you could uh, join the dots on uh, my back with all the scars that I've got there. So I think it's starting to look a bit like Snoopy the dog back there now. If you join the dots the right way, it's uh, there's plenty of them. It uh, make, makes for conversation with the hematologist when he goes, so where would you like me to take the uh, sample from this time? I said, wherever you have wherever you can find a clean spot. So how was your initial reaction and, and Sarah, your wife's reaction to the diagnosis? Oh, look, <clears throat> well, I was diagnosed by an orthopedic surgeon because they didn't know that it was cancer when I was diagnosed. And so I remember being at St. Vincent's Hospital and in Victoria and the orthopedic surgeon went all serious on me as as they tend to do. And he said, look, uh, I have to give you the bad news that you've got uh, a one of the rarer forms of blood cancer. It's called multiple myeloma. And of course, you know, you, you're thrown immediately into a spin simply because I'd never heard of myeloma before. I had no idea what I was uh, up against or what my life would look like from that point on. And so uh, he said, look, in an hour and a half's time, I've made an appointment for you already with uh, one of our resident hematologists here, and he's going to uh, talk you through, you know, myeloma and, and, a way, and the way forward. And he said, look, just know that whatever you read between now and then, there's some great treatments and, uh, you know, things are improving all the time. And, and you know, 
when 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 a highly specialized uh, <clears throat> professor surgeon says that to you, I it almost made me worry more, you know, because I thought, oh, gee, what are we up against? But uh, we went down to the car, which was sitting uh, down on the street, jumped in, and I I had my iPad there, and I uh, Googled and jumped on Wikipedia and found multiple myeloma. And uh, quite erroneously, it said that I had uh, about three years to live. So uh, you can only imagine how I felt in that moment. Uh, but that being said, we had... Uh, we met with uh, my hematologist, and look, the 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 prognosis was uh, far improved on that. And I guess, uh, from my perspective, I always take the standpoint that uh, prognosises that are given, whilst where we all want them, they very much represent a statistical data set that's years and years old. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm here till I'm 80. I've got too many people to annoy to uh, not be here for a hell of a long time. <laughs> so how did Sarah respond? Well, you mentioned Sarah. Sarah's my wife. I've also got uh, Riley in Georgia. Oh, look, Sarah, we, like I, can, I guess we were all we were gripped by fear. We really were. Um, fear is the immediate response simply because of the unknowns. And even to this day, you know, when I'm, you know, as I've been through several phases of treatment and, uh, you know, the dastardly myeloma comes back and it's when you're sitting in a situation where there's not a lot of light on the path that you have to walk, that's when that fear really grips you. And, you know, you've, almost got to hold your breath and and uh, just wait that period of fear out whilst you don't know what's going on, whilst you don't have a path or a treatment, a, a therapy pathway. Um, you know, how did Sarah feel? You know, she was, you know, very, very worried. She was scared for her life, you know, scared for our life because, you know, according to that three-year prognosis, our life all of a sudden was, thrown into complete turmoil because, you know, one day you're planning holidays and, you know, thinking about how you're going to bring my two kids then, five and eight, how you're going to bring them up and have a wonderful life together. And all of a sudden that that's thrown into absolute turmoil. So, you know, I, I think uh, anyone that's been through myeloma would uh, recognize that same feeling, Louise. How did, how did you feel? Was it dissimilar? Yeah, you go into a very numb state because I actually knew quite a bit about it because I'd interviewed Alan Mackay-Sim, a very famous mm -hmm. Australian Australian of the Year scientist who was a good family friend and I'd interviewed him for the library. And so that was only a month before that I was diagnosed with myeloma through a blood test. Um, wow. Lucky because there hadn't been any actual damage to mine, just a few tumours here and there but um I was very annoyed with my good friend Alan McCarson because I said it he gave it to me <laughs> <laughs> he put the thought in your head well, but he didn't he didn't you gotta, you gotta me, take course. responsibility 
You've got to take responsibility, Louise. You uh, somehow brought that upon yourself. I, I don't know how, and nor does modern medicine, but maybe. But anyway, oh. he didn't. He didn't because it's not contagious. Of but course. Just for anyone listening. But um, I was, you know, I was numb with fear because I, I actually knew how bad it, you know, I actually wasn't that petrified until I did the old Dr. Google, which is a huge mistake. And my prognosis looked like it was four years. So mine was a year up on yours. But um, to to oh, if anyone's listening with myeloma or has family, please do not go to some of those weird statistics out there because they're out of date. And yep. anecdotally, anecdotally, I know so many, not so many, a, a few people who've lived, one man who's having his 25th, anniversary of life after a diagnosis isn't that amazing um, from, there's, there's more Gip- and more popping up there really Gippsland. is um so it's very positive but it is yeah. it's it's gut-wrenching you have to it say it really that. is and just to fill that conversation piece out i guess you know i agree with you don't go to uh wikipedia you know give my australia a call um the nurses are so wonderfully uh qualified to give us great direction around uh you know what's going on in the current status of uh myeloma treatment care and outlooks so So how you were you and your wife were both working how did it affect your working lives and your financial situation when you found out yeah it's it's a really good question simply because um you know I, i i guess Go back to uh, 2014 when I was diagnosed, and you know I was I was the uh, executive trying to work. I was trying to work my way up that corporate ladder. I was, uh, you know, my career was a huge part of my life, and you know what was written on my business card formed a huge part of my identity. And so to have that turned upside down now with uh, a broken shoulder. Um, I, uh, I couldn't work for a period of 12 months because there was no way of treating it. Uh, I remember um, the orthopedic surgeon just said to me, he said, look, don't worry about your shoulder. You've got, you got bigger fish to fry. Um, that will repair itself in time. It, it did take 12 months. And he said, look, just focus on your myeloma and uh, do what you can to be as well as you can, which is, you know, that's what I focused on. But um, I went back to work after almost one one year after uh, being diagnosed, I was able to get back to work. <clears throat> I guess, you know, I was very lucky in that uh, I had salary continuance insurance. That was uh, a massive thing simply because, you know, I've, I've met lots of wonderful people with that have been diagnosed with myeloma since since I was diagnosed. And, and, and a couple of those individuals have had serious financial issues. They didn't have the luxury of salary continuance insurance, and you know they really had to uh, work hard to navigate the issue that is maintaining uh, active work simply because they they had to work to pay the mortgage, to keep the kids at school, um, and you know to have that on top of a terminal disease. That that's that just blows my mind. But I guess. I was lucky, you know. I was able to uh, sit back and uh, focus on myself, focus on my health, along with my wonderfully supportive wife, 
um, you know, we we together uh, charted a path that we were going to take to to be the best we could or live the best we could with myeloma, no matter how long we had to live. Because you know, um, we had to navigate the mental stuff, but uh, as well as navigating the mental stuff, there's also the physical challenges that come with treatment. But uh, you know, it's it's a tough gig. And what about the kids? What have you been saying to the children over this over these years about well, your myeloma? Like I mentioned, we were gripped by fear of the unknown when uh, when I was first diagnosed, and my kids were only five and eight years old. And so we decided between us, my wife and I, that we wouldn't tell the kids at that age, simply because you couldn't sit down and have a mature. We felt that we couldn't sit down and have a mature discussion with our kids given that they were so young. And I guess to put on, to add to that, um, you know, we felt that we didn't want our kids to see fear in our eyes. We had to come to terms with our situation ourselves before we went into uh, a situation where we're sitting down and talking to our kids about cancer and, you know, and, and the, I guess the scenarios there. So we, because I had a broken arm, I guess I had a backstory. I just said, you know, I've got a bone issues and uh, because of that, I'm not working. And it wasn't until I relapsed some, you know, in about 2016 that we decided that that was the appropriate time to talk to our kids. Um, and and we sat down in the lounge room and and just had a discussion with them and and even to this day you know my my kids I I know they get worried at times you know they're fourteen and seventeen and I know they get worried at times if I'm particularly unwell but the the thing is now eight years in they've got a a wealth of experience in having a dad with cancer to know that whilst I get unwell, two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to be very, very honest with them about where I am, how I feel and, you know, what's going on. And also I always implore them that if they're worried, just look to me and, you know, they can read some nasty things on the internet, just like all of us can now just look to me rather than, you know, relying on other data sets. You use me as their benchmark and, uh, you know, speak to me about how I'm feeling and how how I look and how I feel relates to any potential prognosis because I think that's what's really important. We're going to take a short break now. We'll be back shortly. The Myeloma Business Collective is a community of small to medium-sized Australian businesses that stand with Myeloma Australia in our mission to support, inform, educate, empower and bring hope to those living with myeloma. If your business would like to become part of this collective or if you would like further information, please contact our fundraising team on fundraising at myeloma.org.au. Welcome back to My Conversations. I'm Louise Darmody and I'm with Jeff Nyson, who was diagnosed with myeloma at 40 years of age. So you talked about having a relapse. Um, have your treatments affected you over the eight years? 
Well, they they affect you in different ways, you know, and different treatments impact you differently. You know, um, my first couple of treatments were stem cell transplants with uh, localized uh, radiation therapy. Um, in 2017, I had an allogeneic stem cell transplant. And more Which recently... Which is using your own, own bone marrow tr- no, or, there's the autologous stem cell right. transplant. Yep. I've had two of those um, in uh, 2014 and 2016. Now they're using where they put your own stem cells back in. And then in 2017, I had an allogeneic stem cell transplant, which is where I received my brother's stem cells in the hope that he could do something miraculous that my stem cells couldn't. Now, unfortunately, I picked the wrong brother because uh, the myeloma uh, did relapse quite quickly. Uh, but where I've been really, really lucky is is that uh, I had a. I, I then went on to daratumumab and Revlimid, and that has done a wonderful job for the past four plus years of keeping my myeloma under control. Now I haven't read. I haven't. Uh, I didn't go into remission under daratumumab, but it stated about ten percent cancer in bone marrow, which is the way I receive my results. Basically, they look down a uh, microscope and and they can count the little buggers. So uh, they can That's count. That's great the, news. Fantastic news. It is. Ace. Oh, look, it's you know, at the end of the day, I I guess you know what I feel is Louise. I feel that. You know, we're not we're not fighting cancer so much. We're fighting time, because it's only a matter of time before the amazing researchers out there before they discover uh, a treatment or a therapy that's going to turn myeloma from being a terminal disease into a chronic disease. You know, one that we live with as opposed to dying from, similar to HIV or any of those uh, diseases that have that have gone from being, you know, really nasty into people with it can live quite normal lives. And, you know, that's coming. That's coming. I'm sitting here with my fingers crossed, legs crossed, toes crossed. But, uh, you know, I feel it strongly. You know, you look at all the advances and uh, that's where we're headed. We're living in wonderful times, aren't we? Absolutely wonderful times. That's amazing. And I, I encourage any of the listeners out there, if you get an opportunity um, there's some great organizations like Peter Mack and Wehi. And, um, you know, we as patients can donate a little bit of our time to do provide support to those researchers because they're forever calling out for um, patients or they call us consumers, but they're forever looking out for us consumers to contribute to their research. And it's such an amazing experience to sit and listen to these consumers about the way they think and what they're working on it's you know it's mind-boggling the ideas that they're testing every single day in all those universities and hospitals it's it's exciting you know as a little backstory for me I'm a journalist and many years ago I started up a little business called Sound Memories and Documentary and I did a documentary with Wehi with um, some of their amazing luminaries. So this is about 19 years ago yeah. and I interviewed Don Metcalf who discovered colony stimulating factors, which is a naturally occurring hormone in our body. He worked on that treatment to be able to work out how to, how to make it a treatment for 20 years 
Is that right? And at the end of 20 years, there was always this problem with chemotherapy that was killing off the patients because it would kill the cancer, but it'd kill everything else, as you and I both well know. But um, this particular treatment, I think it's called GCSF. I always forget what the G stands for, <laughs> but colony stimulating. It's stimulating your immune system. So yeah. now when I was in hospital, you know, four years ago, having my bone marrow transplant, we were given, I was given um, colony stimulating factors every, regularly to stimulate, 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 to to get those, get the immune system working again after it had been killed off. And that to me and, and your stories, it's just so wonderful for us as patients because those people, they don't get paid a lot of money, those researchers and those wonderful nurses and those wonderful doctors that help us, they don't get paid a lot of money, but they work and work and work to basically help people like us live and and keep living. That's amazing. And you mentioned GCSF. I think uh, anyone that's had a stem cell transplant will have had those GCSF uh, injections. And in fact, um, I'm on GCSF. I've got to inject myself once to twice a week now um, because Revlimid for some people does have the effect that it reduces uh, white blood cells. And so I take the GCSF as an injection uh, to boost uh, or bolster my uh, my white blood cells and help keep the nasties out. I, I do too. I have it twice a week and I consider it's my secret weapon. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. One of, one of. I'm sure you've got plenty of them. This concludes part one of my interview with Jeff Nyson. Join us for part two to hear more about Jeff's life and living with myeloma as a younger person. Thanks for listening to this episode of My Conversations. We'd love to hear from you, so send us your questions or topic ideas to our email address, nurses at myeloma.org.au. Whilst the advice and opinions of our guests is welcomed, This podcast provides general information and is not intended to replace medical care or the advice of your treating team. Please talk to your doctor if you have any questions about your diagnosis or treatment. Your doctor can answer your questions, talk with you about your treatment goals and provide you with extra support.